Hi, it's Julie. Before we start the show, I just want to thank you for listening. And if you enjoy our podcast, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps get our show out in front of new listeners. Thanks again for listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. We hope you enjoy this interview. break with New York Wiki. I'm your host, Julie hawkeiser Ilkovich, and today we are here with Sharon Epperson, who is the CNBC Senior Personal Finance Correspondent. Thank you so much, Sharon, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Today we have a really cool, unique episode of our podcast, because we're going to talk to you about your career and have you share some of your personal career advice, but we're also bringing personal finance questions from the New York Women in Communication community. So thank you for being here, and thank you for answering those questions. I'm sure there are a lot of good ones. Yes, it's very, people want to talk about this for sure. Our first question to our guests is always, what is your coffee drink of choice? I've already had my skinny vanilla latte this morning, and I only had a tall on those really bleak days I get a grande okay <laughs> but that is my that is my drink of choice ev- almost every morning and will you have multiple coffees today no, that's, that's it. it I just need one to get me started that's pretty good yeah <laughs> that's pretty good I'm impressed by that and it is a very sad rainy day today <laughs> so if you're still doing one coffee I'm impressed we want to start by talking about your journey your personal journey and you know how you ended up in this world of personal finance and media. So take us through it, starting as far back as you think is relevant, whether it's college or before, and you know what happened with internships and jobs. How did you get where you are today, and how did you kind of get into this specific area? Well, my journalism journey has been over three decades long, and it actually started in high school. I had a fantastic English teacher who also happened to teach an elective called Journalism 101, the working elective. This was not going to be fun time or really an easy elective, but she said we would have a lot of fun actually doing our radio reports or doing ad campaigns and trying to submit articles for the school newspaper. So I took that class, I think it was in my sophomore year in high school, and I joined the school newspaper. And it was also at that time that she had gotten some information from the Pittsburgh Black Media Federation, and I'm from Pittsburgh originally. And they were having a high school journalism workshop that was taught by journalism professionals in the city of Pittsburgh in television and radio and in print and on Saturday mornings. And I thought, do I really want to go on Saturday mornings (laughs) to take this journalism class? But it looked kind of interesting and I got there and I was absolutely hooked. So the names that I'd read in the newspaper and people that I'd seen on television were actually teaching us about journalism. And we got to do our own television show. We got to do our own newspaper, and it really, really made me want to do this as a career. I had a lot of other things that I was interested in. I was good at math and science. I did summer programs and programs during school, during my high school time in that also, but I loved telling stories. I just always loved telling stories. And then in college, I did a number of internships. I went to Harvard University, so I did a number of internships in Boston. I also did internships in Washington, D.C. and in Pittsburgh in my hometown. I worked at a lot of different newspapers, um, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, and the Boston Globe. Um, And then I decided I wanted to see the world. Mm -hmm. And what would it be like to be a foreign correspondent? 
So I spent, um, after I graduated from college, I spent three months in Cairo, Egypt, working for the American University in uh, American University there in their journalism department. And in that department, in the Adams Center for Television Journalism, they actually created a weekly show that went to the American Embassy and the American Cultural Center. So it was interesting to be there during that time and to do stories that could not be political, but there are so much culture and so many other things to write about and to, to report about there. So that was my first time kind of being on camera outside of the school environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I decided that I wanted to get my master's in international affairs after that. And I did do that at Columbia. That brought me to New York. And then I decided I didn't want to be a foreign correspondent because most of them were freelancers and didn't get the steady income that I thought I needed to help pay for what I'd just done right. for my master's degree. <laughs> That's cool. So I, uh, I took a job with Time Magazine. And that was a very interesting um, era for Time because... The, instead of calling it multimedia and calling me a multimedia journalist like everybody wants to be at MMJ now, there they just said it's new media. We just want you to try it out. See, you know, we're gonna we're, we've hired you for the New York bureau to be a reporter in the New York bureau of Time Magazine, but keep a high eight camera. Back in the day, that's what they used, um, and you know, go out and shoot stories while you're reporting for Time. And it didn't exactly work out that way because. I had to really focus on my magazine uh, responsibilities more, and then switch and do kind of the television responsibilities, but it gave me an idea of how I would maybe do something like that. Um, and I was at Time Magazine for three years, and then I came to CNBC. And in the time at CNBC, I have had to be a multimedia journalist, and that's what we're all doing now in terms of being on camera, doing most of my reporting on CNBC or on the other shows we produce here on The Money, our syndicated show, or Nightly Business Report, the show we do for public television. But then I also have to do stories for CNBC.com, and I have to figure out how to tell my stories on mm -hmm. social media right. and make sure that people want to maybe even learn more by then seeing a full clip of one of my stories or tuning into the show. Or And so it's been a really interesting journey here and, and in terms of just the content and how business and finance and the markets and all of that has changed over the years, but also how our industry has changed and how mm -hmm. people desperately want content in so many different ways and being able to tell the stories on those different mediums. Does it feel like your job got harder as new technologies arose, or has it kind of felt like a very natural transition? Does it feel like more work? I mean, it really is yeah. completely different than when it, you started, for it sure. It is completely different, and it is a lot of work. Um, but it's also really interesting to be able to see what resonates with people. And that's why I love social media. Mm -hmm. And I know the audiences can be different. Um, but it gives me an idea of what might be a really good story to delve into further because of the questions I get on Twitter or because of the feedback that I get in terms of how people like it or share it. Or So I, I like that aspect of it, that it's not kind of waiting for some outside third-party ratings company to tell me how my stories are doing. I can really tell by, by the engagement that I get from the audiences on various social media platforms. That's great. In real time, you in can real make time. changes. You exactly. don't have to wait for that. And, you know, you started your journalism career in kind of a different place. Did you always have an interest in finance? Was this something that interests you, or is it just kind of the the way it, the way it went? I absolutely fell into it. I When I started Time Magazine um, as a 22-year-old or so, um, many of the people in the Bureau were older than I was and were very interested in this thing called the 401k that they were getting. 
and they watched this television program that had a stock ticker on it that I really didn't know much about. Mm -hmm. And they were glued to it because they wanted to know how their 401k money was doing and how their investments were doing. And one of the one of my coworkers at time said, "Have you signed up for your 401k? You better do it. You know, this is money that you're getting, and they match it. And it's free money." I didn't understand what any of that meant at the time, but I did enroll in the 401k, and then I started trying to pay a little bit more attention mm -hmm. to this this channel that they were watching all the time. Um, I went to a journalism conference uh, about two or three years into my time at, at the magazine, and I met some people from NBC, and they said, "You know, we're looking for people for our." business channel, CNBC, who are great writers, um, but also have an interest in business news. And I said, oh, that's me, because when you're at a conference and you're at a job booth and they're telling you where the jobs are, <laughs> then you need to know how to spin your right. resume to say, that's what I do, that's what I love to do. And it turns out I had just done one story for the business section because my um, bureau chief at the time said, you're great, you know, you're a great writer, you've done social stories, you've done um, political stories, you've done health stories, you don't really have very many business clips, we're in mm. New York, I need to send you out. And I was like, I don't really want to cover Wall Street, how can I do this? And I found a story about a philanthropist um, who had uh, worked for the IRS for many, many years and was not wealthy at all and had just hoarded all her, her money to invest in stocks of companies that she knew. So she loved the movies, so she did a lot of media companies, she purchased certain things, so she did consumer products companies, and she amassed a fortune that she was able to then donate to Adelphi University. Wow. And so this story, because it was a wonderful human interest story about a wonderful woman who had done something that not very many women her age had done and not very many people with the type of job that she had, not making a ton of money, were, was able to do. So I thought this was great and I put it in my stack of articles to show when I was at this job conference and it happened to be on top. So I said, I cover business, you know, <laughs> and this is, and so I actually had to learn about the mutual fund industry and learn about the commodities market and learn about actually the stock market, a lot of it too, on the job here at CBC when I first started. Right. That's a great lesson also just in careers yes. that you're not necessarily, you can you can create your path, which you did. Yeah, you absolutely can. I teach a class at Columbia uh, University where I got my master's de degree to students who are getting their master's in international affairs and political affairs. Wow. And the course is a professional development course how to interview, how to network, what to put on your resume. And one of the things that I tell them all the time is that you just need to have a spin for what for one of the jobs you want to do. There may be three jobs that you'd love to do. There may be 10, but focus on three for the time that you're mm -hmm. here in this school, if you can, and really try to figure out how you can spin what you've done already in terms of your academic career, in terms of your professional career for that one job, and have another spin for the other, other opportunity that you may be interested in. But you always have to kind of be ready to pivot because you don't know what the job market's going to be like. You don't right. know where those opportunities are going to be. And so having that elevator pitch, having that short little thing that you can say about yourself when you meet somebody that you hadn't intended to meet on an airplane or, you know, as you're going to the grocery store or, you know, there's just so many places. And so it's, it's important to be able to do that. That's great advice. Yeah. That's great. And it sounds like you do a bunch of different things. So we're here today at CNBC. You also teach a class. How do you kind of 
balance all of that. I mean, I think that's really interesting a lot, especially to young women who don't want to just like go to the office and do one thing all Mm -hmm. day. So what has that experience been like and how have you been able to kind of create that now as your day-to-day career? I don't think there's anything such thing as balance. I've learned that. There is no such thing (laughs) as balance. We call it now, I think, work-life integration in New York Women and Communication. Work-life integration sounds like the right way to describe it. Um, It's it's really a juggling match. Mm -hmm. I say to my friends all the time, you know, join me in my agony as I go through the struggle with the juggle because that's what we're all doing. Um, but I do think it's important to stay interested in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and by, by having various things that I do, whether it's public speaking, whether it's wor- working here at CNBC and doing the stories while I'm here that are going to be on air this tonight, or whether it is teaching students at Columbia, I am learning something all the time. And I'm learning from them. Hopefully, I'm sharing information with them, too. Um, but it's, it's really a, a been a tremendous way to grow and um, to never, ever feel stifled. I've never felt, people, when I say that I've been at CNBC, an employee of CNBC for 22 years, people are like, what? How is that possible? Or now, for many people who come to the company, I say, basically your entire life I've been here. <laughs> so, you know, some of the, the young women and men that I meet here, I'm, I'm literally have been here almost the enti- their entire lives. But the industry has changed so much. What I've been able to do has right. changed so much. And it's and there constantly are opportunities. And the one thing I, that our younger um, employees, I really try to stress to them, is what you're doing right now is not the end all and be all mm-hmm. for your career or your career at this company. It's constantly evolving. And if you see something different that you wanna do that's at a startup or that's at another place, see if it ha- is happening here already. And if it isn't, and it should be, you know, stand up and, and say something about it. Stand your ground, make, make a case for why this perhaps is something, some initiative that we need to be taking on, and perhaps you could do it here. Yeah. I interview a lot of really amazing women for this podcast, and it's interesting because recently especially, that has been like the key piece of advice. It's mm-hmm. kind of like create it yourself, yes. which I think is really interesting and inspiring and can help, I think, if you're stuck in a job that you don't feel mm-hmm. like has a future, like you're yes. saying. So yes. that's been a really very yeah. interesting trend for me to see that like every successful woman, that is their advice. So there's definitely something to that. I mean, there may be things there already. I think about my, um, I have two children mm-hmm. that are now 13 and 16. And when my 13-year-old was born, when I was pregnant with my second child, I thought, I don't really know how I'm going to be able to get that phone call at 5 a.m., which is sometimes how it works, mm-hmm. and be told to go here, there, or anywhere right. for a story. It's really hard to do that when you have two children, especially one who's still a baby. And so I, I, there was another woman who was covering commodities at then the New York Mercantile Exchange live on the floor. I didn't have a love of commodities. I didn't, I'd filled in for her a couple times. I didn't know the market that, that well, but I knew it a little bit. And I raised my hand for that gig. I said, I would really love, she was then going to go on maternity leave. And I said, I'd really love to sub for her while she's on maternity leave. And when she come back, came back, she didn't want that job again. And I was there, and I actually stayed there for eight years. And it was more a work-life integration yep. decision than a I love covering oil prices and coal prices and the commodities market. It was a very interesting time. There was so much going on. Um, and, and that was during an uprising in the Middle East, which yeah, is pretty much constant, but it had a very significant impact on, on oil prices and commodities at that time. It was great 
it was a great time to be there. Mm -hmm. I got a lot of exposure on CNBC because they were very focused on covering that market and those markets. But it really was something that I had raised my hand for more because it fit into my life. Right. And someone just said to me the other day, like, our careers are long. <laughs> so yes, yes, and yes. It, obviously, and if you haven't right. started saving for retirement, they're going to be longer than you even imagine. <laughs> there so we go. Do, That's good yes, advice. Yes, so you, you definitely have to. Right, and it's just, I mean, you kind of said this earlier anyway, but it really is, like, you're not, there are going to be different phases of your life. There are going to be things that work. And I think that story of mm -hmm. when you had young children that you have to do one thing versus, yes. like, and that's not going to be more than a couple of years, right? right? And you knew right. that. right. It's really hard to look at that big picture, yes, but yes. that's really, really important. And you've publicly talked that you had a brain aneurysm and talked about your struggle with that. Um, you know, I'd love to talk about some of maybe the lessons you took away from that because that's mm -hmm. a huge life, yeah. you know, hurdle. And you have very obviously bounced back. But you know, what are some of the personal lessons you learned? Mm -hmm. And then also, was there anything that you applied? to your career that you think would be something interesting for people to know? Yeah, so I do a lot of things, um, but I try to focus on the task at hand now more than I did before. The idea of multitasking, and now there have been so many reports out there that say it really doesn't work, and are you really as efficient as you think you are? And, and, it's, and I think it is true, and I also think it creates a great deal of stress, and particularly on women who are mm -hmm. juggling careers and family already. Um, and so that requires a certain type of multitasking, but just in general also because you want to stay current in your field, in your career. You want to look for the new opportunities and take advantage of opportunities, and so you're doing it that way as well. Um, CNBC has been very understanding with me being, coming back after such a major, major traumatic experience um, and, and health crisis. So I have been able to do many things, but do them at a pace that mm -hmm. makes sense, right. you know? Um, and I don't always think that our jobs really make sense in terms of the pace that we're, that we're working at. So that's one of the things that I've taken away from it. Um, the other thing is, in that being present, to always be, it's a brain injury, so I'm all in my head now, a lot more right. than I was before, but I'm always mindful, too, of, of the impact that I'm having, whether it's having on myself or having on other people. And I'm so grateful to be able to continue to tell stories and continue to delve into topics that I think are really meaningful for people, um, no matter how old they are, no matter what their profession is, no matter how much money they had growing up or did not have. These are things we can all learn about how to manage, grow, and protect our money. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I love talking about. So my, my personal mantra is be present, be mindful, be grateful. And I say that to myself over and over every day. That's great. I'm going to start using that, too, if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> Especially sure. sitting in the car on the way back yes, in traffic. in traffic, exactly, exactly. As I mentioned before, we talked to our community of New York Women in Communication. The conversation around finances and money has been a big one for us, mm -hmm. especially over the past few years. So, you know, I think there was kind of this world of women not necessarily talking openly about money as it pertained to their salaries, as it pertained to their, you know, own personal finances. And so within our organization, we've really opened up these conversations and we've been starting to have events and different experts coming in and just talking about it and getting the conversation mm -hmm. going. So we opened it up to have people ask questions to bring today because we had access to your brilliant advice. So thank you for taking the time to answer them. Um, we're going to dive into a few of these now. 
we did a, t- a poll on social media on Twitter, and 75% of our respondents said that they do not write down their personal budget or keep it updated. So these were New York Women in Communications on that Twitter, on at mm-hmm. NYWiki. Is maintaining a budget, I'm budget obsessed, as our listeners probably know, anyone within the organization who's seen me speak, is that vital to your financial health? And if so, how can you maintain it? Because clearly it's hard. It is hard, and I do think it's vital. Mm -hmm. And I do think that there are ways that you can set up a budget to make it a little bit easier, but it's not easy. It is at least to initially start because you need to keep track of every penny that you spend. And you also need to track, keep track of everything that's coming in. Since many of us are juggling, there may be multiple streams of income that are coming in, so you need to make sure you keep track of that. And you need to make, make sure that you're keeping track of what that gross income is, what the taxable income is that you may have to pay yourself if you're getting if you're self-employed and you're you know you have to pay those estimated taxes yourself. And then you have to think about your expenses and what and and really kind of down to the gifts that you have to spend for the 25 kids that each need a $1 gift for the class party or whatever it is. Um, So I think an easy way to do it is mint.com. But another thing that I suggest in my book, The Big Payoff, is something that uh, a former writer with uh, MSN came up with called the 60% solution. And there are other budgeting, you know, percentages that people have out there, which are good too, but I like to think of the 60% solution because it's worked for me. So 60% of your gross income should go to committed expenses. So that's mm-hmm. your house, housing expenses, that's childcare costs, that's anything that you have to pay for, student loans that you have to pay back, that you have to pay for every month. And then you have another 40%, and where does that go? Well, 20% of that goes to your long-term savings. So that would be retirement savings. Um, and it can be hard to get to that 20%, but having that as a goal is a good way to really kind of make sure that you are paying yourself first. Mm-hmm. Another 10% should go to short-term expenses or short-term savings for expenses that might come up like your car breaks down, you have to fix something in your house. The other 10%, it's actually really important to stay sane. That's your fun money, <laughs> and you have to have that fun money. Now, it may go down to 2% some months when right. you have so many expenses, but having that kind of 60% solution really did help me get started in saving when I didn't have as many financial responsibilities. So then when it did hit the crunch time, I at least had that discipline of knowing where I should be. Um, The other thing that I would say, a couple of things that have helped in terms of uh, keeping to a budget or just kind of knowing what's going in and what's going out is automating other parts of your financial life. So there are budgeting apps like mint.com, but there are things that you can do just with your own checking account. Mm-hmm. where you can put a, have an email alert or a text message alert when you make a purchase that's over $50 or over $100 or you know when your bank balance gets to a certain level just so that you know where you are and you're not surprised and you're not going into overdraft or you're not doing anything like that. Um, the other thing that I think is important for people to know who have um, you know a steady W-2 paycheck, know that often when you direct deposit your money, and hopefully everybody already does that, 
direct deposit your paycheck into a checking account, you can direct deposit it into a savings account mm -hmm. and you can break that up into several different accounts. So you can have your, this is the one that I'm gonna have for all of my housing expenses, this is an account that I'm gonna have for, you know, that I'm gonna direct the money that goes into this eventually to my retirement account or to my subsequent, my other retirement account, not just your 401k, but maybe you have a Roth IRA or something else you wanna put it in. So knowing that you can break up that paycheck, not just have it go straight to checking, where then gosh knows where you're going to spend it. Right. But make sure you take some of that money and it, you never see it in your checking account, that it automatically is going to savings and perhaps savings in a couple of different pots. Yeah, that's great. I was wondering coming into this conversation today of like there must be technology, like technology must be a part of the answer now. I mean, so, so hard, but it's really interesting to think about. I, you know, I remember early on in my career wanting that money to go to save it. Like, I don't even want to see it. Mm -hmm. I just don't want to mm -hmm. see it. I mean, still, but even, you know, especially starting out. But that's interesting, that thought about doing different accounts and being like, okay, my rent goes here and it yes. always has rent money. Don't yes. even have to think about it. You don't have to think about that's it. And really I, I, I think that that's a really important way to do it and to have for your, the money that does go into the checking is money that you have to actually write a check or an online check or somehow use that money to pay for expenses. Almost everything else shouldn't go in there because it's just so tempting when you know you have that extra money to spend it on things you don't really need. Right. And if you have it in another account, that short-term savings account, then when you really do have enough to get the pair of shoes that you just really, really want to have or the spa treatment that you really, really need, then you have the money there for it. But mm -hmm. you don't have it, you're not doing that in lieu of paying the bills that you have to pay. Right. And how about the little, the little fun expenses? So mm -hmm. I think it's great to think about those you know, a vacation or clothing, clothing, something that you're working towards. But I mean, the conversation <coughs> I feel like I'm having a lot with friends and colleagues is around like the daily coffee and the things that they probably keep me sane and happy, mm -hmm. but they're maybe wasted money. Right. You know, what's the thinking around that? I mean, you know, with this theory, we do get some money for fun. Right. But is it better to still not do that so I mean sometimes you just have to choose what you're going to spend your money on and what you're going to say I'm gonna cut back right. on this so for instance I I do have my latte almost <laughs> every day but I also bring my lunch right and I bring my breakfast or eat breakfast at home or you know we're always on the go so we're and I don't eat out that frequently mm -hmm. for dinner um, I have kids so that makes it you know difficult to do those types of expensive meals anyway but trying to make sure that mm -hmm. you have things that are prepared so that, that when you do go out to dinner or you splurge, you know, you, you have to. Right. I mean, I, I do think though, I mean, you know, there are times when it's dire. If it's dire and you really can't afford to do that, it is very likely that there were some things that you did along the way that brought you to that dire situation. So now you just, you just can't. Right. I remember going to, um, I was doing an interview uh, for a station in Florida and the, a lot of the people knew that the station was having a lot of trouble and it was gonna go under, they were gonna lose their jobs. And when I got there, um, they were so nice, such gracious staff, and they were like, so where do you wanna go to dinner tonight? We'll take you out. I'm like, you can't take me out to dinner. <laughs> you know, you're about you to lose your it. job. We just discussed that you're about to lose your job. Like, we, you know, and the conversation wasn't, it wasn't, you know, that she was taking me out as a, as a comp for her, Jobs. It was it was more of a social thing, and she wanted to bring her husband. And well, you go out. Well, we go out about two or three times a week. I'm like, okay, that's got to stop, right? Because you've just announced that you're about to lose your job. So we just have to know when we have to cut back, mm -hmm. and and just understand that it's going to be painful at times, so that it can be so much more rewarding later. Right. I think that's really hard. Like 
the can and can't afford it yes. scenario. Because yes. in theories, you probably can right. spend on more things, but you can't afford it, maybe. Right. Like, right. in terms right. of, right. yeah. Right. And I like really thinking about a big picture. Mm-hmm. Is that, I mean, that's kind of what yes. I'm hearing from this. Like, you yes. have to take a step back. Even if you are buying your coffee every day, mm-hmm. that means you can't do something else. Exactly. Like, you can't afford something else. Exactly. Exactly. What is a big mistake you see, you know, young professional women, if you if there is something mm-hmm. specific to women because the nature of our organization, but just in general, young professionals, like what are some mistakes that you you see that people could actively try to avoid, you know, especially early on in their career from a financial perspective? I think the first one is to always remember, this is for anyone, especially for women, that the greatest asset that you have, the greatest financial asset is your career. And it is your income from your jobs. And so knowing ahead of time what you should be asking for and the salary or the income that you should receive from that job is really important. And it's very, very, very difficult for a lot of us to do. One, mm-hmm. to, one to figure it all out, and then two, to go in and ask for it. Right. And so I think the first thing is to make sure you have the ammunition you need all the information you need about what people normally get paid in this situation, and most important, what attributes you bring that are unique, that make you qualified or sometimes overly qualified (laughs) for this particular position. Um, And then be confident enough to know that you're worth it. You're worth it, ask for it. Mm -hmm. And all they can say is no, and ask, and, 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 anticipate the but I don't know if we can do that on the salary but okay that's fine I'd like an extra week vacation right. okay that's fine I'd like to work four days from home at, four, four days at the office one day from home okay but what you know what else can you give me and when can I start my benefits and may, am I gonna get a, into the 401k program and all of those things and to to think of it also to be holistic in, in looking at these jobs not just what the salary is but what are some of the other things that you may need help with do you need help paying back your student loans would this company help you do that then that might be one that you want to go to right now over the one that has the most robust 401k program because mm-hmm. this is your immediate need right now. Um, so I think it's a, it's a, it takes a lot of work because sometimes we're dazzled by this is where I'm going to build my brand. This is where I'm going to be able to really make my mark. And that's great. But you also want to make sure that you're compensated well for it. So I think that's the first place to start. The other thing that I hear quite often is um, just competing priorities. Like I have student loan debt. What are you talking about? Saving for long term. I mean, how am I going to pay this off? And are people going to think I'm credit worthy if I have all this credit card credit card mm-hmm. debt also? Um, and so I think that's a very big problem that a lot of people need to deal with immediately. Looking at what the debt is. Don't be afraid of it. Understand what your interest rate is. Understand how much you owe, and figure out a way that you're going to slowly start to pay that back. Um, I don't know how many people understand that there are income repayment plans that are allow you to understand that you may not have the income that you thought you were going to have when you went and got this degree and, and spent all this money. And so just look at the different ways that you might be able to um, retool your, your payments mm-hmm. um, for, your, for student loans. But I do think it is important to have that long-term savings. And here's a way to have long-term savings but actually be able to take the money out whenever you want. And that is, if you qualify for it, to put your money into a Roth IRA. I love Roth IRAs. I love them, especially for people starting out in their careers because 
It allows you to save for retirement because an IRA is an individual retirement account. Mm -hmm. But with a Roth IRA, any money that you put in is yours to take out anytime you want. So while you're building that money for retirement, while you shouldn't touch it unless you really, really, really need it, if you really, really, really need it, there's no penalty for you to take out your contributions. Now, if that money starts growing, the stock market's doing great, any of the earnings and the growth that you've seen in that money, you can't touch that. Right. Um, but it is a really, really good way to start saving, and it's a good way to start saving if the company that you go to doesn't have a 401k plan. It's a good way to start saving if the company you go to has a 401k plan. You just put a little bit of money in that, enough to get a matching contribution mm -hmm. if they offer, and then you stop. And then you put the rest of the money in the Roth, and then you have that also as your kind of emergency fund. Right. And I think that's, a, that's you know, it's hard to, I know I'm saying a lot, and it's like, you know, people's eyes, sometimes I watch when I say this, and they're like, wait, where do I start? What do I do first? But you just have to kind of make a list of what your priorities are, what you, what you owe, and what you want to grow, and then how you're gonna hit each one of them. And that's why I say automating with that paycheck is makes so much sense. Because mm -hmm. then you don't really have to think about it. You right. said, these are my priorities. I have my student loans, I have my Roth IRA account, um, and I have the checking account I need for my paying my rent on a regular basis and all of that. And those are the three accounts that my, that my paycheck goes to. So I'm covered, I'm, I'm doing it. And that's the way you have to, you have to just be, be disciplined. That's, yeah. I'm glad we're recording this conversation. People can listen to it. They can rewind. Yeah, they can right. take notes. <laughs> so it's not too much. Say it all. Exactly. And, you know, a couple of follow-ups, one being I know the answer to this, but I would just like to ask you, we should be saving for retirement the second we graduate from college? Like, when should retirement savings start? It should start right away. Uh -huh. It should start right away. Yeah. And it should start right away because um, – you never know, you know, how long you may want to work. Or whatever. Right. Retirement is so different now. I mean, no one really thinks about 65, I'm going to go, and I'm just going to, you know, go on the golf course or travel right. the world. I want to travel the world now. I, I don't want to wait. Right. So, you know, so there, so, but that may, may mean you're working longer right. because you didn't wait, you know. Um, so saving a little bit along the way is important mm -hmm. to make sure that we're living longer and we're living longer as someone who has recovered from a, a, a real health crisis. We're living longer with chronic illness, right. with so many problems that are also costly. Mm -hmm. And so that's something to really keep in mind that our longevity is not a longevity necessarily of the same healthy life that we had in our 20s and 30s. It's a longer life and it can be a very fulfilling life but it may come with managing a, a chronic illness that requires a lot of financial um, responsibility for medical bills. Mm -hmm. So it's important to start saving early. And I, that's why I like the Roth IRA because if you really do need that money for an emergency, you can take it, but you're starting early to grow that money. And the Roth IRA, you can just set that up at any financial institution. It's, I mean, I think it sounds so daunting, especially <coughs> if you have a 401k through your work, it feels like that's done and set up but I know from my personal experience like it really is so easy I mean just go to any of these institutions and set it up over the phone online sometimes it's so easy yep. to set up and and going into 2019 you'll be able to put six thousand dollars into that account um uh, it's it's a great way to just start saving and mm -hmm. you can even set them up once your kids if your kids start working you can even start they can even start yeah um, wow so it's it's a good it's a really good way to to enforce that saving from a very early age. And just thinking also, you know, you talked about travel, but as I've learned with someone with young children, like your finances and your expenses like ebb and flow mm -hmm. 
so much that you just can't even I never would have thought when I was in my early 20s like about paying for childcare. Right. So now, you know, I think you kind of go into your career thinking, "Oh, as I rise through the ranks, I'll make more money and it'll be easier to save." Honestly, it's probably easier to save when it's just you or so you and a partner than well, like that is the yeah. be- that is the best point to make. That's why it's so important to be disciplined when you first start out because there are so many things that start to compete with that plan that you had in mm-hmm. place. And that's why I was glad that I learned about the 60% solution early on and tried to kind of use that because there is no way when I first started having kids and they were younger that I was saving 20% of anything. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's just, it's impossible. It's very, very difficult to do that. And once you buy a home, and childcare expenses, and then camps, and then you want to be the class mom, and so you buy all the books. <laughs> right. It just gets to be really, really expensive. Right. And um, so, you know, something took a back seat, and it was my saving strategy for a while. And then I started to figure out a way to mm-hmm. say, you know, no to some things, and still be seen as an okay, cool mom, and, you know, figure out what I could do. But it de- definitely, definitely took took some time and there were there's some really tight moments there yeah it's like expecting the unexpected almost with all of this exactly (laughs) you have no idea so we had a question uh from a new york women in communication member that i thought um was really interesting and as we're talking to the producers of this podcast everyone was like oh yeah what is the answer to this so she sent that um she said i pay way more than the minimum payments of all my monthly bills and my student loans which Mm -hmm. is great i think because i'm paying them off quicker but I realize that this also means I'm not saving as much as I should be. So mm-hmm. what's kind of the strategy for something like this, kind of you know, jumping into the, from the last conversation of maybe when you're first paying off your loans, you might have a little bit more income to spend on mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Is that the strategy? Is that a good strategy? Well, I think the fact that she's paying off her, her loans more than the minimum is a good strategy. It sounds like she knows kind of what she owes, what her uh, interest rate is, and how much – she owes and to pay back in a nice amount of time but it's not an either or situation it's never an either or situation so she does need to be saving for retirement at the same time mm-hmm. is she saving enough if she works for a company that offers a matching contribution um, is she saving enough to get that I would say it's really important to do that because you don't want to move miss out on that free money um, but is she unable to then hit the maximum on a Roth IRA or hit the maximum which is next you're going to be $19,000. You know, that's right. a lot to save, right? <laughs> is she going to hit that 401k max? Maybe not. But um, I think it's really important to make sure you get that free money first mm-hmm. with the 401k and to have your saving anything extra you have after you've paid some of these student loan, made these student loan payments to put that in a Roth IRA if you don't have the 401k option. That's great. Yeah, that was the follow up question of. So if I do have that money, do I put it into retirement? Yes. And so the 401k, the free money, mm-hmm. is the matching program. So exactly. you put in the money, the four, they, your company matches it, and exactly. they're giving you money towards your retirement. So yes. that kind of is like, get you should always try to get there. Exactly. exactly. Okay. This is great. <laughs> I'm learning so much. The other question that kind of popped up in the community was about credit scores. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is a credit score? Why is it important? I think also with all of these startups popping up, or maybe they're not as much startups anymore, like there's a lot of credit companies on TV, right. commercials, right. you're seeing them, and it's kind of like, 
do I need that? Should I be tracking it? Mm -hmm. So what's the modern thinking around credit scores and what should you be doing to keep yours up and what is it important for? I think a lesson on credit scores would be Mm -hmm. helpful for us. So a lot of people um, are very focused on their credit score and they really don't understand why is this number so expensive, but so sorry, why is this number so important? Um, And it's important because it is a number that's looked out to see how credit worthy you are for a lender if you want to get a mortgage or you want to get a car loan the credit score is also very important to people who want to know almost your credit integrity I guess Mm -hmm. because employers will even look at it sometimes depending on what type of industry you're in and if you're in financial services that might be something that they're looking at this number that you know you want an 800 credit score you want something that you know is at the top of the range is a number that includes how often you pay your bills on time, which is the majority of what makes up that score, um, but also how much you use credit. So mm. if you have, and hopefully you only have two credit cards at the most, and but if you have more than that, they are looking at not just how much credit you use on that on one card, but on all of your cards combined. And a lot of people think, well, you know, I have the the limit on my credit card to, to spend this much and I'm pretty good about making my minimum payments yeah but you're building up so much you're paying so much in interest by carrying a balance on your credit card and more importantly if you are using more than 50% of your available balance that could negatively impact your credit score um, that credit hmm. utilization ratio is what they call it it's a really kind of jargony way to say it but basically you want to use if you can, 10% or less of what you're able to. So if you have a credit limit of $12,000 on a card, you don't want to pay more. You don't want to spend more than $1,200 on that card. Um, and if you're paying, if you're using it that way and paying your bills on time, then your credit score should slowly start to improve. And you know you'll see. Hmm. But if you're paying, if you're using more than that, and if you're not paying your bills on time, you could see, see a serious ding into your credit score. The other thing that that people want to make sure that lenders want to know what your score is and but for some reason having too many inquiries into your credit score that's something also that's not necessarily huh. as positive on your credit score the most important thing though is paying your bills on time okay if you're doing that you're likely going to be up in a pretty good shape um, with your credit score and the other thing to keep in mind is that you should look at your credit report on a regular basis because things pop up that you had forgotten about a card that you've not used but it actually had a $25 balance on it and you just had completely forgotten about it so now went into collections and now you have a collection notice on it and so that's really hurting your score now for the next seven years until that kind of ages off your credit report it's gonna have a negative impact Um, the credit uh, monitoring not credit monitoring but the um, credit agencies that come up with the scores have done a better job in making sure that the things that count really are things that you can control Um, and so those are some changes that have been made more recently that are that may help a lot of people Uh, but it's important it is important number to know but the basic thing is you just have to know where your money's going Mm -hmm. and you have to know what you owe and if you don't know that and you're taking care of it then the credit score should should follow along and you should see it improve in terms of paying someone to see what that score is you don't need to pay anyone Mm -hmm. because it should be on your credit card statements now um, you should be able to find it online at various websites that will do it for free for right. you. Um, and that's what you want. You want a free um, 
score. Free credit. You should for, be able to get for it for free. free. credit score. And you want to be able to get a, f- a copy of your credit report. You should get that for free also from Experian or from Equifax or TransUnion, the three major credit bureaus. Um, you should be able to get that also for free. You just go to annualcreditreport.com and you can get a free copy of your credit report. Great. That's great to know. The one thing that I've never heard before that you're saying is about this spending a percentage of your credit limit, which is really interesting because I think there's also a lot of thinking around like, oh, I want to put, I put stuff on my credit card. I don't want it to come out of my debit or I put it on my debit. So if you spend more, but you pay your bill on time because Mm -hmm. you're just using your credit card or you're trying to get points or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. that doesn't sound like it's detrimental to your credit. It's It's not detrimental. What will, what will, it's not detrimental because you're paying your bills on time. What is going to help your credit score, though, is if you use less of what's available. Less of what's available. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I'm I know. I mean, so who much. would think? But Right. Know. And the, another way to think about it is, again, I really think you should not have more than two credit cards because people just use them too much. But know that if you open another card, that is increasing your overall available credit. And so you may have that one card that you go, that's your go-to card for shopping for everything, also because it's a rewards card, or you get points or whatever. But you have another card, you only, you only use that for travel. Mm-hmm. But you have now an overall credit limit that is still allows you, when you're just buying the groceries and everything, you're still only using 10, 20% of your right. overall available credit. So that's a way to think about it. Okay, that's interesting. And geographically, so New York Women in Communications, we're New York-centered, organization clearly things are much more expensive in new york is there any thinking about anything differently when you're living in a city when it might be more expensive or do all the rules same rules still apply especially as it pertains to personal finance i think one of the biggest rules or one of the biggest thing considerations is your housing our housing costs are just so astronomical so some people may say in my um, you know, example of a 60% solution, how am I gonna have committed expenses just at 60%? Right. Because you know, I'm spending 40% of my gross income just to live here, or maybe even more in some cases. Um, so that, that becomes very, very difficult. And there's no really easy way to say, mm-hmm. you, know, you need to live in the studio for the next 10 years <laughs> with your three children. Raise your I mean, family. You know, raise your family there, it's not. But it is something to consider why a lot of people leave the city mm-hmm. and move to the suburbs or move somewhere where it's the cost of living is less. Right. Um, and and even though I love New York and I do think, and I came here because it is the communications capital, content is everywhere. And you can often find a way to do what you do in other places. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, it, and it's worth considering. Mm-hmm. It's worth considering if it really becomes such a financial strain. Um, to see if you can, you know, find something cheaper that's a little bit further out from, right. you know, Manhattan, or find something that allows you to travel back to New York, but you're actually going to be your home base is going to be somewhere else where the cost of living is less. Yeah, I mean, I think now especially there's so many opportunities to not live where you work. Mm-hmm. So I hope that that changes even more, where companies don't necessarily think you have to be there, exactly. especially as housing gets, I mean, astronomical here. Yes. Yes. And everything. I mean, yes. you know, and it's kind of to our earlier conversation, too, of looking at, I think, you know, what you can afford, because there's a mm-hmm. lot of opportunity to spend your money. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I moved from New York City, from Manhattan to Westchester County, I moved from a one-bedroom, one-bathroom, to a three-bedroom, three bathroom with parking 
for almost the same amount. Wow. And there was just it was just no comparison. And yes, I did it, instead of being able to take a train, you know, take the subway for 20 minutes to work, it took me closer to an hour between taking the Metro North train and then taking the subway. Right. But the trade-off was that this was a better place that I thought to raise my family. Right. Right. And maybe I'll move back to the city. You never know. You never know. (laughs) As we wrap up this part of the conversation, which is amazing, I could talk to you for hours. Thank you for answering our questions. You know, there's not a one-size-fits-all financial strategy. I mean, we all have different situations, and we didn't even talk about, you know, what if your family needs money or you have a parent who's sick. I mean, there's so many. Is there, you know, um, a piece of advice or, you know, your experiences or kind of something that everyone should know or think about. We talked about a few pieces earlier in terms of just, you know, what impacts your personal finances. I think one of the most important things to know is that you have to be disciplined. There's really no way to succeed at managing your financial life unless you're disciplined about it. And um, it, there are strains that are going to come in. We did talk about the early life ones in terms of starting your family, right. and buying your first home. But then there are strains that come later. And you do have to think about are my parents going to be able to care for themselves? Am I going to have to step in? Um, do they have things in place that they need to make sure that they're able to manage their finances as they grow older? Um, all of those things weigh on the entire family, multiple mm-hmm. generations. But if at least some generations, so start with yourself, are disciplined about right. how you're managing your money, it's easier to have that conversation with siblings. It's easier to have that conversation with your parents, with your children that they can start to see how they can manage their financial lives better as well. So being disciplined, paying attention to what you owe and what you own, knowing that is really important because there's so many people that don't know that. That's the basics. Right. And once you know that and you can be disciplined about setting up a plan that's going to work for you to attain your goals, then you're going to be in great financial shape. That's great to know. And and just even tying it back to the benefits conversation, which we, you know, there are other benefits at your job that can tie into some of the things we're talking about, like yes. helping take care of family, you know, having the time to be able to take care of a sick loved one or whatever. So, you know, looking at that benefits package and seeing what is even out there. Right. I well, mean, that's why things. I say that the, your greatest asset yeah. is your job, yep. um, is your career, and finding a position that allows you to have some of these benefits and really considering what that whole package is like. More and more companies are offering paid leave, not just to take care of your children, but to take care of an elderly relative, a loved one. Uh, More and more are looking at tuition reimbursement or some Mm -hmm. type of tuition assistance. More and more are looking at even at things like our company offers pet insurance, you know, which can be so expensive if you have a pet that you love and they get sick. So these things can be really helpful to you and it's very important to find out what benefits you have at the company, where you are, Ask for the ones that you think are missing that you've heard or elsewhere. Um, and as if you're looking for new employment, make sure you look at companies and look at the whole picture of what they could potentially offer you. Right. Wow. That's yeah. great. Sure. We have a few more fun career-oriented um, games before we <laughs> completely wrap up the conversation. But this has been incredible. Thank you for taking the time to answer our questions. Sure. You you talked about this class that you teach, and you teach, it sounds like, interview skills and mm-hmm. some of that, and, and we always like to ask our guests what we call classically annoying interview questions. So the questions that maybe you've asked them in an interview or been asked, but things you know you will probably be asked but don't necessarily relate to the job yeah. at all, and you're like, why are they asking me this, <laughs> whether they have a good reason or not? So 
I'm going to ask you a few questions. Um, you can answer them how you would really answer them, or you can say this is how we should be answering those since you literally teach the class on it. Um, the first is, where do you see yourself five years from now? <laughs> that is a very good one to ask yourself. Um, actually, my students have to do a self-assessment, and I tell them to do it every few years because your interests change in terms of what you want to do. So when I think about where do I see myself, I think about where do I see myself geographically. I think about where do I see myself in terms of a mother, which I think is my mm -hmm. most important job. And then where do I see myself as a professional in, in this industry. And so I think in five years from now, I will likely still be in the New York area. Um, my children will, be, have, will have finished high school and will be in college. And I want to be somewhere where they can come home to and, and, and know that I'm here. Um, and I want to be doing something where I'm sharing terrific content with people still about money because I'm going to be in a different phase of my life where I have different financial strains than I've had in the past. And though I've done stories about it, I think it's always encouraging to people to hear someone report on what they're going through right. as well. <laughs> so I think I see myself you know, being someone who's in media and um, living somewhere perhaps on the East Coast, New York area. Um, and being a, a mom who has sent her kids off and is trying not to, to weep at home as an empty nester. You're already, <laughs> she's already tearing up thinking about this five years. That's a really interesting, a self-assessment, so this is something you teach, mm -hmm. so that's just kind of answering these questions for yourself exactly. before you go in. Before you go in for an interview, you need to know, do you like to work with, I love to work with people, and, and our job is a team job. Um, and sitting at home and just writing by myself or something would not be enjoyable to me. So knowing things like that, do you want to be a, do you want to be with a team? Do you want to work for a company that has a big brand and, you know, is really well known or do you want to work for something that's just starting up where you can actually be on the ground and get that company running? Do you want to live on the East Coast? Do you want to live overseas? Um, is this a company that you want to stick with for several years or is this a company where you're just going to get the skills you need and move on to something else? All of these are questions that you ask along the way. Mm -hmm. And the other question I think that, um, you know, kind of sometimes people think of it a trick question, but, you know, why did you leave your last job? <laughs> so I left, I left my last job because I really wanted to be in television. I enjoyed Time Magazine. It was a wonderful place to work at the when I was there and when people were reading weekly news magazines right. regularly, <laughs> um, getting them off the newsstand, buying them and holding them in their hands. Um, the industry's changed so very much, mm -hmm. and I think that um, even though CNBC has also changed in the years, 22 years since I left Time Magazine, it has really been able to be at the forefront of this multimedia approach to giving viewers, readers, content, listeners that they can, that they really want to use about business and finance. Mm -hmm. So um, I left because I wanted to have a new opportunity, and every few years I have a different opportunity at the same company. Yeah, it's really, it's easier now in media to talk about why you mm -hmm. <laughs> leave a job. I think we all know it's changing yes, so it's quickly. Changing, yes. And you know, at a lot of companies now, they're asking kind of these wacky interview questions. Again, like, why did you ask me that? But we pull them from different companies. Sometimes our producers make them up themselves <laughs> a little. Um, so this one is, if you could sing one song on American Idol, what would it be? I Will Survive. Oh, <laughs> that was easy. That's easy. I mean, I'm here by the grace of God. You so. survived. That's your survivor. I survive. I love it. That's great. And we've reached our lightning round. I'm going to ask you a few more career-oriented questions, um, and just we're going to quickly go through them. So the best job you've ever had? This one. Okay. This one. The worst job you've ever had? 
bagging groceries at a grocery store. I never even graduated to cashier. I was not a good, good oh. at that job. <laughs> How long did you do it? Probably a year or two. Okay, that's me. Mm-hmm. What's um, the best career advice you've ever received? The best career advice I ever received was to make the most of the opportunity where I was, actually. Mm-hmm. I, I thought I wanted to um, go to a nonprofit, become a CEO of a nonprofit. I was passionate about it. I'd done a lot of volunteer work with it. And... Um, the person advised me that as an on-air correspondent um, and someone who would become a TV personality, I could probably do more for that organization in my role staying in my current job than even running that organization. Mm-hmm. And it was fantastic advice. It was really, really good advice. And I'm still interested in perhaps doing that one day, but for right now, I'm really happy where I am. And have you ever received a truly bad piece of career advice? <laughs> Tell them to pay you what you think is fair, what they think is fair. So I shouldn't say it was career advice. Uh, you know, one of my family members once said, "Don't do what I did and just tell them what tell them to pay you what they think is fair." And I thought, why would you have ever said that in your life anyway? But I think it's important because I think some women, yeah, or people just in general, so happy to have been offered that job or that opportunity or work for that brand or that company that they do feel like, well, I'm just happy to be here. And some employers want you to feel that way, which I also think is bad from their perspective. So it's never pay me what you think is fair. Pay me what I'm worth. Right. If we take anything away from this, I hope everyone looks before they go for a job at the whole package, yes. what is what they're worth, all the benefits. Yes. I am definitely going to do that moving yes. forward. It's so, so great. Yes. Where can our listeners find you? They want to follow you, so tell us about your book. Tell us about when we can watch you on TV, where we can follow you on social media. So you should definitely watch me on TV every weekend on The Money. It's a syndicated show, so you can catch it on one of your local stations. Or if you wake up super early on Saturday, you can catch me on CNBC at 5.30 in the mornings. Weekdays, look for me on Nightly Business Report. That's on your public television station. It comes on in the New York area at 6.30 on WNET. And then if you want to find out what was she talking about? She said something about Roth IRAs. And I <laughs> go to CNBC.com and look on Retire Well, my um, show that I do on for the digital platforms. And also just Google CNBC and Sharon Epperson for a host of personal finance stories that I've done. Um, the other thing that I would say, if you're interested in a book for couples about how to manage money and talk to your spouse and not get in fights, that's my book, The Big Payoff. Um, eight ste- steps that couples can take to make the most of their money and live richly ever after. So that's something else that you can look at. But uh, Google my name and personal finance or cnbc.com and there'll be so many stories that you'll find and clips that you can see give you a snippet on what you can do to really get your finances in order. Great. This is fascinating. Thank you for your time. Are you sure. on Twitter? You're on Twitter? Yes. You okay. can follow me at Sharon underscore Epperson. Okay. And you can also connect with me on LinkedIn. That's another super important thing. All of my students are required to be on LinkedIn. So that's really, really important to do. And I will try to try to get back to you on LinkedIn. Um, and also, you know, I do have a Facebook page as well. And you can look up on, on YouTube. Some of my stories and things are there too. This is great. This sure. is a very special episode. I learned a lot. Thank I'm sure you. our listeners did. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. I'm your host, Julie hockheiser Ilkovich. Thank you to the amazing team that works on this podcast. Chelsea Orcutt, Chrisanne Grisey, Kylie Harris, Elizabeth Roberts, Mandy Carr, Andrea Goldstein, and Alex Fetter, who wrote our original theme music. For more information about Coffee Break with New York Wiki, go to 
nywici.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening.